0: Hello and welcome to Trish Talk Radio with your favorite host, Trish Roberts. Trish Talk Radio, where dreams come alive and where you will learn success principles for life from some of the most inspiring stories on the planet. To contact Trish directly, go to TrishTalkRadio.com. Now, here's your host, Trish Roberts. Hello. Today, we're
1: talking to Mark Feinberg author co- business coach and conference giver <laughs> Mark um,
0: Hi Trish tell me yes How are you I'm good how are you Oh great thanks for having me on your show today such oh, an I'm honor so
1: ha- I'm happy that you're here
0: Thank you thank you
1: so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what you do. Is that okay?
0: Oh, absolutely. Ask, ask me anything you want. Shoot away.
1: Okay. Um, first of all, where did you grow up?
0: Yeah, I feel like I've grown up all over the world, literally, <laughs> but I haven't uh, grown up all over the world, but I moved around a lot. You know, we started – out in Flushing, New York. I was born in Mount Sinai Hospital in Flushing, Flushing, New York, and we moved out to Queens, and I spent, uh, you know, my elementary school years in Queens, grades 1 through 5, and then my mom got remarried, and and my stepdad, he was a really cool dude, and he moved us about an hour north of Queens to uh, Pomona, New York, which was about an hour upstate from the city. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I spent, uh, you know, middle school and my first year of high school in Pomona. Uh, and then uh, mom ended up divorcing in Milton and we moved to Florida. And I guess, uh, you know, I continued my education here in Florida. We ended up uh, coming to North Miami Beach and I went to Miami Beach High School. Uh, and, uh, and now I'm in Palm Beach, Florida, still growing up uh, 51 years later.
1: <laughs> well, that's a good thing to be young at heart.
0: Mhm.
1: Well, tell me how you got into what you do.
0: Wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> but I'll I'll respond to, uh, as kindly as I can. Uh, you know, <laughs> Trish, I was probably an entrepreneur at heart from a, a very young age. I remember all the way back to Queens where I might have been seven or eight years old. And my mother worked in a grocery store. She worked at the Wahlbaum Supermarket.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And she was a cashier. And I would be behind the register, uh, behind the counter, as she was at the register, and I would bag up groceries. And then I would take them out into the snowy, cold, rainy New York City night yeah. To put, put in them in the cars for the customers. I, mean, I remember getting a penny. Uh, sometimes I'd get two pennies or a nickel. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's what I did as a, a little seven-year-old boy. And then I, I remember a time when I started washing cars. And uh-huh. my neighbor, where I lived in Queens, New York, we, we lived in a little courtyard, and uh, my neighbor asked if I was interested in washing his car for a buck. And, boy, did he get his dollar's worth. I tell you, he'd made me do the wheels over, and he'd make me do the chrome bumper over, and, you know, he'd make sure there were no dirt marks on the, he had a white Volvo. Talk about it. You know, he had a white Volvo, and, you know, we're in New York City in the wintertime, and in the (laughs) springtime, you're driving through the slush and the snow, and and, um, so, yeah, I I washed the Volvo, and he'd pay me a dollar. And he'd always make me redo it. Of course, I remember you know so distinctly, and uh, I, I think that was like my first real business was being you know washing cars. Oh. I remember when we moved upstate New York to Pomona, I still wash cars, but I, got, I was a little old. I was you know now twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and I was waxing cars and I was doing the interior. And now I was making $5 a car because I spent time waxing it. And I had a paper route. And so I I had the neighborhood paper route. And I would deliver newspapers. And those same people that I delivered newspapers to had dogs. And they asked if I would walk their dogs after school. And I would walk dogs after school. And some of those same people had little babies. And little children asked if I would babysit. So the same people, I washed their cars. I delivered their newspapers. I... Babysat for their kids, and I walked their dogs, and I was probably earning three, four hundred dollars a week at thirteen years old. That
1: is amazing.
0: And I knew, I knew I was home, meaning <laughs> I knew that I enjoyed making money. I knew whatever it, I needed to do to earn that money and save it up, I would do. And so, you know, as a teenager, uh, I believe that uh, my entrepreneurial a spirit really started to thrive because yeah. I believed that uh, you know i could I could ha- be a little businessman and do all the odd jobs in a neighborhood that it it took to to earn a living and uh and I was excited about that
1: that 's really great. Do you think kids are like that now
0: well i don 't know if kids are like that now i I know that my son Jonathan loves to work and saves his money. Um, my daughter, Danielle, who's 13, Jonathan's 15. My daughter, Danny, who's 13, uh, could care less about uh, earning extra money unless she needs something, uh-huh. but it's not on the forefront of her mind. And what I do know is most kids today are challenged with this technology craze. Yeah. And you know they're all on their phones. They're on social media. They're playing games. Uh, there's more. You know, there's more social media and games uh, at uh, the fingertips of children today than than there ever was when I was growing up as a kid. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have video games. And uh, you know what we had was we had a stick and we had a ball.
1: ball. <laughs> if we had ball.
0: a stick and a ball, you know we were good to go. We could go and uh And we could play stick ball, we could play punch ball, we could play stoop ball, if we had one big ball, we could play kickball or dodgeball with it. If we had a basketball, we were playing basketball if we had uh you know a roll of tape, we were playing roller hockey in the in the, in the uh, in the schoolyard. If we had a little black ball, we were playing handball or paddleball, and so you know we were more involved playing sports and figuring out uh, creative ways to use a stick or a ball, and Mm -hmm. we were never online, there was no internet, we were never on the phone, we had no phones, we certainly didn't have a computer in our hand like the kids do today, and there was no social media. So, uh, you know, my life revolved around playing ball, playing sports, and making money, and it had nothing to do, I had nothing to do with playing video games or being on social networks, getting approval and likes from friends so I could feel good about myself. So I think the kids today are are much more challenged because uh, today it's more important to be socially accepted and approved and liked because that's what we're doing on social media. We're, we're approving each other. We're accepting each other as friends and followers, and we're liking each other's posts and pics, and the kids are more interested in that today than they are in in anything else. So I wasn't faced with that same challenge. My kids and other kids their age are absolutely teenagers are absolutely faced with the challenges of of video games and social media and a lot less attention going towards earning money and being entrepreneurial.
1: Yes. Do you what think, do you think? That's What
0: do you I mean what do you what do you see with the kids today?
1: Well, I see the same thing and I and like you, I spent my time being creative so and also babysitting and whatever I could do to earn money so and same way I you know we didn't have cell phones we didn't have computers Um, so I sang that's what I did and um, I'm glad that there weren't all those other distractions because I probably wouldn't have otherwise
0: I I couldn't sing or dance so that's why I played sports. Sure. And um and I was a good little ball player and I think as much as I loved playing ball I I, I really enjoyed earning a buck and uh
1: uh-huh.
0: You know at at 15 years old I I got my first real job as what a dishwasher. I was in a in a I was in a diner on Miami Beach uh-huh. called Lums And Lums uh, was uh, like a Denny's. Uh, And we we had, uh, you know, we had uh, a lunch rush and a dinner rush. And, you know, after school I'd come in and and I'd wash the dishes and I learned how to cook. And then I saw the guys across the street, uh, you know, they had better food over at Benihana. So I, Uh I applied for a job at Benihana and I got out of the diner and I went over to... A Benihana restaurant where I became a prep cook. Well, oh. I'd peel these big fifty-gallon buckets of shrimp. That's all I did. Wow. I'd peel shrimp in the kitchen for the chefs, and so. Uh-huh. But but I ate much better than I ate across the street at the diner, <laughs> and I enjoyed uh, you know the atmosphere and the food much better in Benihana than I did over at Lums. And, and it was a step up. Yeah, it was a step up, and then I also noticed that I would spend a lot of time in the kitchen talking to the busboys and the waiters. And I found out that the busboys, not only were they getting a paycheck, but they were getting cash and tips from the waiters uh-huh. and the waitresses. Uh-huh. So uh, I, couldn't, I, couldn't wait. I couldn't bus tables at Benihana's. They said no. So next door at the Crab House, they were uh, accepting applications for busboys. So I moved over next door to the Crab House and I started making cash every day as a busboy. And then it dawned on me, why, why would I want to be a busboy and get tipped out by the waiters and the waitresses when I could just be a waiter? So I applied on the other side of Benihana to the Stone Crab uh, restaurant, and I became a waiter. And oh. I started making tips as a waiter, tipping out the busboys. Instead of being a busboy getting tipped out, I had the majority of the tips coming to me as a waiter. And so my journey in the food business started as a bus, as a dishwasher, and then as a prep cook, and then as a busboy, and then as a waiter. And then I remember this one restaurant I started to work in. It was more like a supper club and a nightclub, and so they had dinner service, and then the club opened at 10 o'clock, and it was a dance club. And so I remember my first day training. I fell in love with this bartender, Bonnie. Oh, she was just a doll, and I was 20, and she was 22, and we locked eyes, and she was my first love.
1: Uh But
0: beyond that really cool day of training, uh, what happened was as Bonnie and I started dating, her brother Jesse had a produce company, and so he Uh pulled me out of the restaurant business, and he he threw me on one of his produce trucks to learn the fruit business. And so ah. I went from waiting tables in that restaurant to working on a fruit truck, driving a fruit truck with with Jesse um, for Jesse's company, and I learned the produce business, and about a year and a half later, I ended up going out on my own and starting my wholesale produce company.
1: Wow. You're and a mover and shaker.
0: <laughs> yeah. I spent 20 years in the fruit business, and I sold that company at 40 years old, Trish, uh, so all those years in the food business as a waiter and as a busboy and as a dishwasher, um, you know, they really paid off because they taught me. Uh, they taught me how to communicate with the chefs. They taught me how uh-huh. to communicate with the restaurant owners, the managers, and the customers. kitchen managers, the customers. And when it was time to go into the fruit business on my own, I already understood how to how to have relationships and communicate with. Uh, the owners and the managers and the chefs in the restaurant, so going out and and finding new business kind of came easy for me because I was in the food business since I was fifteen and I had been in it for six, seven years and I started mm-hmm. uh, my my first produce company at uh, twenty two years old wow. and i had uh, you know I had a twenty year stint in the fruit business and I sold that company at forty but i couldn't have learned the fruit business had I not. Waited tables in that one nightclub, fell in love with Bonnie the bartender, and they got thrown on a fruit truck by her brother Jesse.
1: So <laughs> everything works out the way it's supposed to.
0: Everything works out the way it's supposed to, and don't forget, I'm a high school, uh, I'm a high school dropout. You know, I took my GED and I left high school, and. I was living on my own at sixteen years old. I made it through oh my gosh I made it through my uh my junior year and I made it halfway through my senior year and then i had a i had to drop out. It was too much working full time playing ball, going to school, making grades. It just wasn't working out, so I decided to take my g e d and get out of high school and just uh and just make money and 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 become an entrepreneur so that that was just my path
1: Wow so did you miss playing ball
0: then? You know if there was anything that I could do that I haven't done in my life, mm-hmm. it would have been go away to college and and, and be a baseball player. Absolutely uh-huh. yes. And what? So, oh,
1: baseball. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was a catcher and I was a little superstar catcher and an all-star and I just couldn't make it through my last year of of high school being on my own and working so um I never went Where out to college you? to play ball.
1: Why were you living on your own?
0: Wow. you, you know you're just coming a you're just coming to the table with these loaded guns that are just <laughs>
1: sorry. I hope my it's not personal. If you don't <laughs> want to answer something just well, tell me. <laughs>
0: it's great. I love these questions. Um, <laughs> and you know they help me to reflect on how far I've come. And the reality, Trish, is that, um, you know, I saw my mother get divorced twice. We moved to Florida. Uh I missed my dad because he was never around. Mm -hmm. I wanted to live with dad, and he was already living here in Florida when we arrived. And so I went, I left my mom at 15 years old, and I went to live with dad for my second year of high school. Uh And dad was unemployed. I was sleeping on a couch. In a one bedroom apartment, that his fourth wife, Zoila, was paying all the bills. We huh. didn't have hardly any food, so that's why I went to work as a dishwasher. Because, Uh you know, as a dishwasher, gosh, you get like a, you know, a half a hamburger coming back to the dishwasher and a piece of cake and leftover fries and onion rings. And so, you know, I I had all this food coming back to the dishwasher that wasn't eaten. And, you know, as a growing young boy playing ball, I needed food. So I was able to eat all that food coming back to the dishwasher and even take some home. And so that that helped me to overcome that fear of, of not having food. And yet... You know, I wanted my dad's approval, and I wanted to be around him, but unfortunately, you know, he wasn't in a good place. He was broke. He was unemployed. He was insecure with his wife, and they were having trouble, and, you know, I didn't want to sleep on the couch the rest of my my high school days, and so I, I just decided at the end of 10th grade I was going to just go get an apartment, work full-time, and go to school on my own. Uh, I didn't oh, need okay. my dad's help to do that. I mean... I didn't like, I didn't like the circumstances, so I made a decision to change those circumstances in my favor.
1: That's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. That was at 16. That was at 16 in 10th grade. Mm -hmm. Oh my
1: gosh! Now, Uh you lived alone.
0: So I lived alone. I got a little efficiency apartment on. 15th Street and Michigan Avenue, down right across the, the, the street from Flamingo Park where we played high school baseball. So like that little that little block right there where the ball field was, Flamingo Park, and my baseball field for high school, you know, was very familiar and felt very safe for me. So what I did was I rented a little efficiency across the street in a little building, and I had a motorcycle. And I would go to school on my motorcycle, and then I would go to work in a restaurant. And I'd come, you know, I'd I'd, uh, during baseball season I played baseball, and I'd work on the weekends instead. And I made it through 11th grade, and then I made it halfway through 12th grade, and then it kind of caught up with me. Yeah, Yeah. well, that's too bad. Yeah, but that's why I ran away from home, and that's why uh, I ended up uh, taking my GED and never going on to playing. Uh, professional ball or even college ball. And that was certainly my passion, and that was certainly a desire that I had as a young man. And if there would be one thing that I could change, it would be to experience, you know, the environment in college, going away to college and playing ball and being on a ball team uh, with the college uh, with the college kids. That That's something that uh, I wish I would have had done. I mean, I don't regret not doing it. I just kind of wish if, if I, I could have had it different, that would have been one thing I would have changed.
1: Sure, that's oh, understandable. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh sure. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you a story. I was please the captain. Please. I was the captain of my middle school basketball team in eighth grade. Uh huh. My nickname was the Jewish Flash. The what? The Jewish Flash.
1: Oh, the Jewish Flash! <laughs> I love it.
0: Our coats, our jackets, uh, you know, our our basketball jackets that we wore over our jerseys, our Mm warm-up jackets, my coach put Flash on the back of mine instead of my last (laughs) name. Yeah. Uh, You know, I was his favorite, and I was the captain. That year, our record was three wins and eight losses. (laughs) So, listen, I don't really want to talk about my leadership right now. (laughs) <laughs> and we were three wins and eight losses and the funny thing was that we missed about six or seven games due to snow
1: oh yes so, so I understand a lot of the that. teams
0: were snowed out we missed a bunch of games so the school board decides we're going to push everybody into the playoffs so with a three win and eight, rec- uh, eight loss record we make it into the playoffs it was a miracle because Great. we had one of the worst records, and now we're having to play the first-place team who hasn't lost in two years. Oh. They were the champions the year before, undefeated, and
1: mm-hmm. they were
0: undefeated that year, 11-0, and Clarkstown North. And now, since we're in last place and they're in first, we play them. And with two seconds left in the game, my little buddy, Allen puts up a layup, and we win!
1: Oh, that's Amazing!
0: We go on to the next round, and we win. We go on to the next round, and we win. And now we're playing for the championship against our hometown rival, Farley Middle School. And we won. Wow. We won the middle school championship. I mean, our friends were coming out of the stands high-fiving us. Teachers. (laughs) Teachers were running up to me, telling me how much they loved me and how great I was. The same teacher that had me in detention the day before. <laughs> I'm thinking you got to be kidding. You love me now? <laughs> yeah. Funny how that so, happens. <laughs> 1978, we win the middle school basketball championship. The Jewish Flash and Haverstraw <laughs> Middle School. The following year, 1979, I try out for my freshman high school basketball team, mm-hmm. and I got cut.
1: Huh?
0: I didn't even make the team.
1: Wow. Did you try I'm out same- for baseball? What's that? Did you try out for baseball?
0: Oh, I made the baseball team. I was a captain of the baseball team. But I got cut from high school basketball after wow. winning the middle school basketball championship.
1: Oh, it was the basketball And would you know, in
0: 1979, on that same day that I got cut from freshman basketball, there was another kid at Laney High School in North Carolina getting cut from his varsity basketball team. Do you know who that was? No. Michael Jordan.
1: Oh, I've heard this. Yes, I've heard that about Michael Jordan.
0: So the same day that I'm getting cut from freshman basketball of my high school team, Michael Jordan's getting cut from his varsity basketball team in North Carolina.
1: Oh, my gosh. I mean, I bet those people could really pinch themselves.
0: (laughs) And so two young men, me and Michael, have a very similar experience. We both get (laughs) cut from high school basketball on the same day. And what happens? The Jewish Flash decides he's never going to touch a basketball again.
1: Uh-huh. Michael
0: Jordan decides something completely different, didn't he? Yeah. He was going to go on and become the most prolific name, not just in basketball, but maybe in sports history.
1: Yeah, one of them. Definitely. Yeah,
0: definitely. So it's just amazing, Trish, the power of our mind. The thoughts that we have, the thoughts that we think, the voice in our head. My voice told me I wasn't good enough. It affirmed that I I couldn't play basketball anymore, and I put the basketball down and never played again. In Michael's mind, his little voice said, I'm going to show these guys. I'm going to prove to this coach he made the wrong wrong decision, and I'm going to prove to the world that I'm the best basketball player that ever lived. His conversation was much more inspiring and empowering than mine was, and his conversation took him to become one of the greatest basketball players ever, where my conversation, being disempowering and negative, took me to a place where I I stopped believing in my ability to be a basketball player. Uh Same experience, different result, different outcome, only because of what I told myself and what Michael told himself.
1: That's so and isn't that how it works in life? It is. I'm finding that out more and more.
0: So, I guess for the listeners, I would say, be very, very careful about what you tell yourself. Because yes. the two most powerful words in the English language are the words, I am. And the words that follow I am... Our I am's, those Mm -hmm. words that follow, literally define who we are and determine our destiny. When I wake up every day, I say, I am beautiful. I am successful. I am abundant. I am excited. I am inspired. I am brilliant. I am a genius. I am loving. I am kind. I am compassionate. I affirm myself. With all of the words that I am. That's and I remind wonderful. myself of how great I am. Not in a, an honorary or prideful way, but I want to make sure that I continue to tell myself good things about who I am. I want to be able to look in the mirror and smile at myself and like what I see. Yeah. That and makes all sense. too often, all too often, I work with clients just like you do. That are in these negative, disempowering, toxic conversations about who they are. Now, have you ever looked in the mirror trish and said, "Wow, you look fat today?": Oh, yes. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. Sure. You could look in the mirror every single day, and you could tell yourself anything that you want because it's just you and you in the mirror. That's true. Right? You could tell yourself anything. Why would you ever wake up and tell yourself, "Wow, you look fat today"? Like, why would you ever do that? Uh, because I was. <laughs> but yet we do. We we tend to, we tend to, if if we're if we're not disciplined in our minds, uh-huh. we tend to go right to the negative.
1: We, we do tend Thomas. to
0: go to the. We we tend to go to the one thing out of the hundred things that are. That are out of ninety nine things that are good and one thing that's wrong. We tend to gravitate to the one thing that's wrong or bad. Where and, do you
1: think that comes from?
0: Wow. For me, I've learned that it comes from I've 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 been programmed mm-hmm. my whole life. I've been conditioned, and it's not by anybody. It's I've allowed myself to be programmed and conditioned by my environment, by the mm-hmm. role models that I had in my life. By the things that I've I've allowed my eyes to see and my ears to hear. By the experiences that I've had. And I've learned how to be negative. I've learned how to lose heart. I've learned how to doubt. I've learned how to fear. I've learned how to be uncertain. The Bible says we're created in God's image. His image is not fearful. It doesn't doubt. He's not uncertain. And so... How, If I'm created in in the image of God, all loving, all powerful, filled with faith, how could I ever ever choose fear? Well, it's something that I've conditioned myself to learn. I got scared. I got hurt. I watched somebody else get scared or hurt. Somebody else modeled fear rather than faith, and I programmed my mind to think a certain way. And it's unfortunate, but it's true. When we have, when we don't have such great role models in our life, Trish, we end up trying to figure things out on our own and we end up modeling the negative behavior of others. And then we become like them.
1: Or not. Or not. Because sometimes... Absolutely right. Yeah, sometimes, you know, if you have a, a difficult situation, you do everything in your power to not repeat that or to break the pattern.
0: Absolutely right.
1: Which good, you obviously have.
0: Huh? Oh, I I still am and it's taken all of, you know, my 51 years of life to have this discipline and the self-control and I never do it perfectly or 100%, but I I do a much better job Fifty-one years later than I ever have before, pushing out the the negative and laying hold of the, the positive, or I call it divorcing the lie and marrying the truth.
1: Oh, I love that divorcing the lie and marrying the truth. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. That's wonderful. Well. So obviously, you became an entrepreneur very early in life, but how did you actually get into coaching?
0: Mm. Yes, that's a good question. Well, it was probably back when I owned my produce company. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I helped a dozen of my friends and family members go into the fruit business as well. I would put them on my trucks and I would teach them the routes and I'd show them how to go into restaurants and pick up accounts and how to make up the prices and I introduced them to all the vendors and distributors so they learn how to buy, they learn how to sell, they learn how to store fruits and vegetables in a cooler, they learn how to do the book work, they learn how to make timely deliveries and you know, so my coaching probably started as an entrepreneur. As I began to help my friends and family members go into the produce business,
1: uh-huh. now and you were teaching too.
0: Yes, being the captain of my middle school basketball team, being the co-captain of my varsity baseball team, you know, there there were times when I was just an influencer, uh, an encourager, somebody that would inspire others. I don't know that that was entrepreneurship, but that was certainly a display of leadership. And yeah. Then I, well- and then in the fruit business, it became real as I helped other people to go into business. And then I started my coaching company, um, you know, just the past seven years uh, because of the crash in 08, mm-hmm. you know, I was retired at 41 years old from the fruit wow. business. I sold my company. I retired. Two years later, you remember the crash of '08.
1: Oh, uh, I unemployment. Certainly is.
0: You do, right. So, mm-hmm. unemployment was at an all-time high.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The real estate market crashed. Uh, the job market crashed. And the stock market crashed. And in 08, yeah. I opened up Crown Financial Solutions, which is my debt solutions company. And I started to help people all across the country get out of debt to resolve their debt. To modify their mortgages and as I started to work with people all across the country during that time a lot of those clients of mine were business owners and they they not only needed to get out of debt but they needed to grow their business again they needed to rebrand themselves reposition themselves figure out how to have new vertical integrations of income and and so I started to do business coaching with those clients and it kind of morphed or evolved into, you know, a full-on coaching experience, not just uh, a financial, uh, you know, restoration. Uh-huh. And I began Coach Mark as, uh, as, a, as, a, as a company doing full-time business coaching, you know, just about five or six years ago.
1: Oh, I see. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. So you sort of knew inside that that was the direction you were going to go in?
0: You know, Trish, I didn't know that that was the direction I was going to go. And it ended up being a path that I stayed on. I still Mm -hmm. have my debt solutions company today. I still help people all across the country. I'm still helping clients from five, six, seven years ago, and That's fantastic. I'm still coaching some of those clients in business today. I've I've helped some of my clients rebrand their entire companies. I've helped some of my clients restructure their business and um, get out of debt and 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 become liquid again. I've helped some of my clients become. Uh, best-selling authors on Amazon as they shared their stories and their brand and their business and wrote books. I've helped some of my clients to become coaches and speakers sharing their story and how they got through the crash of 08. And so mm-hmm. I don't think it was intentional, and yet the financial solutions company that I started back in 08 evolved into a business coaching company and me having more influence over the growth of a business and the breakthrough experience that I offer to my clients
1: that's so interesting because I've been reading um Think and grow rich uh-huh and that is about what happened after the depression it was similar in that um, people had to remake themselves especially men in those days because those were the people who worked but it was very much similar in that people had to find a new way to exist
0: yes yes And so you're part of coaching groups and coaching other women and you're part of, I think you do a mastermind group or you're part of a mastermind group and so you know that um, in Chapter 10 of Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill talks about the power of the mastermind, that it's a collaboration of like-minded individuals lending wholehearted aid and devotion to one another in a spirit of unity and... and, uh, and uh, and harmony so that uh, each individual in that group can grow and glean from. So, you know, that's a powerful chapter, Chapter 10 in, in Think and Grow Rich. And I love being in a mastermind. I love facilitating a mastermind group and I know you do too.
1: Yeah. Definitely. And so, as you were coaching you were um also connecting with other coaches.
0: Yes. You see, I I don't I think you, you probably feel the same way. That if, if I'm gonna be a coach I should probably be coached myself. Yeah. So yeah. I have multiple coaches. I have uh, a performance coach to teach me how to perform and speak from, from stage and do presentations from stage. I have a, a business coach that teaches me how to how to brand my business. I have a nutrition coach and I have a you know, a, a body works coach that stretches me out and gives me massages and, you know, keeps me healthy. I have a chiropractor, another body working coach and and I have a financial coach. I have an accountant, you know, I have a spiritual coach and a pastor. So I have a multitude of different coaches from you know financial to spiritual to physical and uh, and I think it's so important if if somebody that's listening desires to be a coach that uh, they understand the value of being coached and they also have a desire to to just influence and pour into the lives of others so um, I love being coached somebody pouring into me and I love pouring it back out into into others
1: yeah I think you um in order to be a good coach you need to want to serve
0: absolutely you're absolutely right because uh, i've learned <clears throat> I've learned over the years all the money that I've made and all of the beautiful things that I've bought you know things get old yeah. they're only new when they're new right. And then, as you use them, they, they lose their newness and shininess, and they, they get old. And they're not as exciting or fulfilling as when they were first new, when, when I first laid hands on those things. Whatever those things are, homes, cars, jewelry, uh, vacations, uh, it, didn't, it doesn't matter, clothing, furniture, businesses.
1: It's just materials.
0: What I've learned is that what you said, in the in the service of others, in contribution to others, into a contribution into a cause greater than myself, is where I find the fulfillment and the significance that I've always longed for. It's never been found in any of the things or any of the accomplishments. It's only been found in making a difference for others, and uh, I, I truly mean that because I've I've been on both sides of the fence. I've I grew up in poverty, and I ended up in in an abundant life. I had nothing, and I ended up having everything that a man could ask for. And what really fills me up every day is making a difference in the lives of somebody else. So contribution and service are are on the top of my priority list, Trish, just like you.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, yeah. So... What's next for you?
0: Well, you know, I'm working on a really cool project. Tell me. And it's an app. And it's... um, I'm looking to make a paradigm shift in the publishing industry. So... Really? Mainstream publishing has kind of shifted over the years. We've gone from having to have a publisher and selling our books to publishers who then own the rights to those books and gave us only a small percentage of the profits, yeah. to self-publishing on yeah. platforms like Amazon that that runs the Kindle platform and the digital uh, publishing uh, platform, and then platforms like CreateSpace, which you can print books on demand. You don't need to order hundreds and thousands of books at a time to be printed.
1: Oh, I've never heard of that. Create Space?
0: Createspace.com, yes. Good to know. So I've witnessed this shift in publishing, from needing a Uh publisher to being Mm self-published. Well, now I'm looking to make another shift in the publishing industry where... Let's take a topic like family. Mm -hmm. I produce a product where successful marriages, successful men and women in marriage can share their story into my app.
1: Say that again. Successful men and women can share their story.
0: Correct, Uh, like a successful couple that's been married for 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, 50 years. I've built an app where they can share their story. Oh,
1: I love that.
0: Into my platform. And so the marriage success story. I, I have couples sharing their success story, teaching and giving hope to others that do not have successful marriages or hope to get remarried one day or hope to have a successful marriage one day. And they, they all are what I call co-authors or co-contributors into this marriage success book. So I'm doing that with a multitude of different platforms, from marriage to a sibling success story to a mother success story, to a fatherhood success story. All of these different contributors pouring into these different versions of books all becoming co-contributors and co-authors.
1: Oh, I so I think this.
0: that, yeah, I think what happens is that, you know, we, we want to have a voice. Each one of us wants to share our story. We want to have mm-hmm. a voice. I thank you for the honor it is to come onto your podcast today and share my story. And I believe that everybody in the world has a story, and I believe that everybody in the world has the most important story in their life. And so I don't think anybody's story is more important than anybody else's. I believe we're all equal, and we were created equal, and each one of us has a voice, and each one of us has a life story. And so I believe there's people all across the world that want to share their voice, share their life lessons, and share their story. And so I've created a platform through an app where people can do that.
1: That's wonderful. I mean, to offer um, marital advice... In this day and age, where fifty percent of people are not staying together, uh-huh. is just wonderful because I would think that that could really sometimes pull people through the hard times.
0: Yes, and it's not so much advice; it's it's hope. My hope. My yeah. books. I want to give people hope. Yeah. Through the experience of others that have overcome the challenges that some of us are currently facing. And so through those testimonies and through those success stories, I get to share hope with people that need hope today. And Mm -hmm. I give my co-contributors a voice and a platform to become authors and to share their success with the whole wide world. That's just wonderful. Is that cool?
1: Well, I think that probably the thing that's needed most in the world is hope. Mm. Without Mm. hope, what do you have? Mm. That's a very creative idea.
0: Thank you. So that's the big thing that's next for Coach Mark.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I would like to hear some of those.
0: How about we put you and Jonathan in the as the first story in the marriage book?
1: <laughs> That's fine. I, I'm into it. I have to You're married a him. long time,
0: aren't you? How many years have you been married, Trish?
1: 30 years.
0: 30 years. So do you think you could offer some hope to some newlyweds I, or to some struggling marriages or to people that are looking to call it quits after 20 years?
1: Oh, I know I could because you know we've had hard times and we got through them mhm so i think it depends on well it depends on your values and i don't mean that in a pretty way but you know giving up is just for some people not really an option mhm i agree so Yes, I would be honored.
0: Wonderful. When we launch the app, you get to be the first story in the marriage book. Great. <laughs> uh-huh. Very exciting. Yeah.
1: It is very exciting. exciting.
0: Thank very you. Exciting. You'll have to download the app for 99 cents.
1: Oh, what is it called?
0: Uh-huh. It's going to be Marriage Book.
1: Marriage Book.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you're doing a number of them?
0: I'm going to be doing a series of them, yes.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Yes. Wow, you're just full of great ideas.
0: I just want to—I just want to leave behind something of value when I when I get to go home to heaven. I want to be mm-hmm. able to have something here on earth that continues to live way beyond my grave.
1: That's so wonderful.
0: Yeah. And people like you inspire me, Trish, to do such a thing. So thank you. Thank you for, for having me on your show. Thank you for your influence in my life. Thank you for, for being a facilitator of what is good and true and right in people's lives. And thank you for all the challenges that you've overcome and the, the, the experiential model that you've been for just so many of us. Uh, I know that I, I speak on behalf of a lot of people how much we appreciate you and, and uh, your leadership and your courage.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And you are very inspirational to me, as you know. Thank you. Being one of my coaches. Thank you. (laughs) So, it is a pleasure talking to you. And I thank you very much for being here today.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I look forward to seeing you soon.
1: Me also. Okay. Thank you, Thanks Mark. Thank you, listeners,
0: and thank you, Trish. God bless. Mark Steinberg.
1: Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. Bye bye. Bye. You've been listening to Trish Roberts and Trish Talk Radio. To be a guest on Trish Talk Radio or to connect with Trish Roberts, go to TrishTalkRadio.com. Thanks again for tuning in to another inspiring episode of Trish Talk Radio, where dreams come alive.